following Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And so that's where we're at, and that's where we're at today, and it's the gospel. It's the gospel in its most simplest but profound form. Thank you for raising that. <laughs> you, you must know that I struggle with these things. <laughs> Man, there are a lot of uh, paper clips on here, too. This all works out well. So, what makes the music come together? So, praise, is it? Is that what makes the music come together? I'm kind of like, this doesn't tilt, does it? Or does it tilt? If I lean hard enough, okay, I'll put, I'll put my manness on here. There we go. How's that? That was the clown horn. <laughs> So, no, praise the Lord, and think about all the things that we've been talking about and how Paul now is finally bringing this to kind of the head, the gospel head here, in that he is preparing the church like any good father would, you know, prepare their children, or as God prepares us, you know, through his word for the life and the tribulations and the challenges that we all might, you know, face here, that, hey, things are going to happen. Things are going to, you know, affect you in your life on a day-to-day -day basis. Sometimes it will be good, there will be peaks, and sometimes there will be valleys, just the same. And, you know, in all of this, we press on in Christ. And then for this section particularly, and what the, the main idea of it is, is that we are understanding our need for a Savior. A lot of times, and you see it, and as Dan had talked about it previously, like, where does the world go right now without Christ as any kind of hope? Like, where are they putting their hope? Are they putting their hope in, you know, family, friends? Are they putting their hope in, uh, you know, their financial security? Are they putting their hope in politics? Are they putting their hope in, you know, the list can go on and on and on and on as far as that goes. And... Here's the thing, any hope aside from Christ is a misplaced hope. And it's a misplaced hope for us because we miss the point of why we're even here on earth in the first place. And how we got here to be on earth in the first place. Because without this understanding of how God created and designed the world and life as we know it, then we're led to our situations and our circumstances to make that our meaning for life to make it about our work, to make it about our relationships, to make it about our family, to make it about our comforts, and all of that. And so one thing that Paul has talked about in this entire letter, and what you need to know, is, is the same things. And we've talked about Jesus, obviously. We've talked about joy. We've talked about grace. We've talked about unity. We've talked about faith. We've talked about fellowship. We've talked about partnership in the gospel. We've talked about the advancement of the gospel. We've talked about how Jesus changes lives. We've talked about working out our own salvation and embracing it. And what does that mean that we are saved? It's a, it's a here, but it's a not yet, too, just the same. Uh, we've talked about you know, gospel words like justification and salvation and redemption and reconciliation and, again, the faith and the unity and the joy and the suffering and the persecution and the righteousness and the hope and peace. And we're just in chapter 3 at the beginning of it. <laughs> like, there's so much in here. Have, have, have we missed that? Have, have, we, have we gotten away from that? 
And I know that it's very easy to do. And, and last week's sermon, when we were talking about looking upward, looking forward, and looking side to side, so many times we miss this looking upward. And so we're just looking here. We're just looking here. And man, it can be bleak sometimes. Like, I don't want to, you know, the world is beautiful, right? Like, and there are amazing things that are going on here. But all in all, just the same too. This... Uh, without Christ, you miss so much of what the world is and what it offers. And so, um, just Lord Jesus, as, as we approach your word this morning, and as we talk about the gospel, and we talk about you know how it's not on us, it's entirely on you, and that we are called to be your people, your kingdom. Lord, understand and help us to understand that we are broken and needy and we absolutely need a Savior. Because many of us are trying to do this on our own and we see this in the world that people are trying to do and understand this on their own. They're not looking for your word to explain life. They're looking for what suits them best. And even many times, Lord, it happens with us that we might come across Scripture in the Bible and we're just like, yeah, that's, that, that can't be true. But it is true. It is your word, Lord. So continue to sanctify us. Continue to work in us in this moment. And continue to let us praise you uh, with the word, but make it more so about deed as we go out too. So, Lord, we just thank you for this moment. We thank you for this beautiful morning. And we just thank you for allowing us to, to know you and to love you and to serve you. Amen. So our, our scripture today is Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, and it goes like this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you, or a safeguard for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. But as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so on the back of your bulletins, I have marked out the three sections and the three points for you. Uh, to some of us, this may seem common sense, but to a world that's listening and that's watching, it doesn't always make sense. Because the world tells you it's about work. It's about only the strong surviving. It's about you know, being the ultimate best that you can be. Whereas 
in Christ, your identity is secure and wrapped up in Him, regardless of your physical beauty, your social economic status, your skin color, um, you know, your IQ, and many, many, many other things. Doesn't mean that we live a life that's lawless, that we can just do whatever we want because, well, Jesus saved my life and he, you know, he's supposed to change me, but I don't really want to change. I like the things that I'm doing. I like, you know, as, you know, playing with mud pies, as C.S. Lewis says. And so, in this, must understand that it's it's by faith, by works, or it's a combination, right? Like those are the options that are presented to everyone. And so in this first section, very simply to understand it, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Paul has been saying this all along. This is the letter of joy, if you will. Paul is writing this letter in jail while being persecuted by outside opponents as well as being persecuted by inside opponents when he's in jail. And, you know, he's taking it from all sides. And he's writing to this church in Philippi who has inward, you know, division and derision, as well as outward opposition to them as well. And so in all of this, Paul is constantly reminding us to rejoice in the Lord because God is not going to leave or forsake us at any stage of the game. Yes, there are peaks. Yes, there are valleys in your life. But God is with you in both of those. And isn't it ironic that we seem to only turn to God when we're in these valleys of life? We don't give Him the praise that's due when things are going well because we tout it as ourselves as pride, like, I did this. I'm awesome and things are good. Like, I am secure right now and it's all because of what I have done. But that's not the case in, in the creation of the world and everything in it and the blessings of life and understanding the grace and mercy of our Lord. And so to rejoice in the Lord, again, it's that quiet confidence that God is in control of every detail in life. And it's not a feeling. It's a determined mindset to praise God in any and every situation in life. Again, these peaks as well as those valleys of life. Because we're being sanctified, we're being changed, we're growing in Christ's likeness throughout all of this and all of life is a learning experience. And we're actually going to get to that in a little bit. Just very simply because this, Paul makes this sound sometimes like it's all meaningless and that it doesn't matter what we do. But that's not the case either. It does matter what we do, most definitely. And so when he says all of these and to write the same things to you is no trouble for me. And so what does he remind them? He reminds them of their place in the Lord, as well as their place as the church, as well as all the themes that I just mentioned a little bit ago with, you know, joy, grace, unity, faith, fellowship, partnership, advancement, and all of those uh, aspects of what Paul's talked about. And we're just at the beginning of chapter three. So in two chapters, he's talked about many, many, many amazing things of encouragement for not just the church in Philippi, but us, who regardless of whatever situation we find ourselves in, that we can press on in Christ, knowing that God is in control and that we can have joy. 
And so in this section, while we understand our need for a savior, um, you have to understand too what was going on as well. And so these, these dogs that he's talking about and the evil doers that he's talking about and those who mutilate the flesh, like Paul is not being really polite here. Like he's not singling anyone out, but he is in a, in a sense stereotyping for certain types of people. Like those who are dogs, they kind of run rampant and they intrude where they are not necessarily wanted. Uh, so think about the old world. Think about stray dogs, you know, going through your garbage. Maybe we worry more about raccoons in this country than we would be about, you know, the curs and the dogs of this world. And um, those, those dogs, you know, clearly can cause destruction and, and can be rampant. And the same with the evildoers who stir up trouble very simply because it's fun or they're self-glorifying themselves. Why they do the things they do. They labor for an evil cause, a self-glorifying cause, one that will trash one other person rather than build them up and build them into the unity of the faith, as we're called. And then those who mutilate the flesh, this is not people who have a lot of tattoos or who have lots of earrings or things like that. That is not what Paul is referring to. He is very much specifically referring to circumcision, as you see from the next. Because at this time, what Paul's talking about, these dogs, these evildoers, and those who mutilate the flesh, they're coming around and they're preaching a very different gospel than the gospel of grace and peace and mercy that Jesus is talking about. They're adding to it. They're making it be like, well, you know, God laid down all these laws for the Jews back in the day, so we need to adhere to all of those, you know, 613 different laws that we have. <laughs> And, and circumcision was one of them. And it's reasonable to an extent because circumcision was a sign of the covenant that God had instituted back way in the day with Abraham. But God had continually ratified this covenant and established it with others down the road. So you've got the Abrahamic covenant, you've got the Davidic, there's the Mosaic covenant. Like, and then we get to Jesus, and Jesus is another covenant. He's the covenant of grace and mercy. And so whereas Israel was you know, declared to be a nation that looks different and that circumcision was indeed part of what that covenant looked like, they missed all the rest of the covenants that God had you know, established with other patriarchs of Israel and the faith as time went on. And of course, Jesus being the last one, the last prophet that, that we will have and the last all-including sacrifice that we have. So he wants to remind them that we in this are God's church, but to watch out for these things and to not add to our salvation but to embrace that salvation and to understand what that walk may look like because it's not again it, it's not about the law it's always been with God about his heart motives or our heart motives for God this is something that we've talked about many 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 times over the last you know year and eight months or even farther if we go back for Bible studies but in this that we have the opportunity to live a life hopefully not have to but want to that would glorify God that was part of the original design for life not per se just the way that we want our lives to be but to see how God has created this life 
And so he reminds them, and he gives us in verse 3 here, or verse, yeah, verse 3, uh, three reasons about why we're different. And, but God's church has a circumcised heart. It's not about the flesh. It's not about the body and that circumcision. It's not about the physical works. It's about the heart motives behind everything that we do. And that even goes back to the Old Testament too. Like Moses told the people, circumcise your hearts. It's mentioned in Jeremiah. It's mentioned in Ezekiel. God turns a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And that's part of the circumcision process to cut out what is evil and impure and self-glorifying and self-gratifying in, in our lives. Not necessarily that they're all bad things, but we need to watch out like what it does to us, how it you know, can possibly advance our lives, or if it's a part that may hinder our lives. And so he reminds them that we, God's church, have circumcised hearts, and that one, we worship by the Spirit of God. We worship by the Spirit because that is part of the covenant and the blessing that Jesus left so that something greater could come, a helper, our comforter, the Holy Spirit, whose job it is to make us holy, to sanctify us, to set us apart from the rest of the world. Like what Dan was talking about earlier with salt and light and city on a hill, how are we different than the rest of the world as God's people? Or are we just like the rest of the world as God's people? It is a calling to be different. It is a calling to be sanctified, to be made holy. Because our God is holy, holy, holy. He's incomprehensible to anything that we can understand because He's so cut off and unique from the rest of the world. So how are we turning into that way? How is God sanctifying us by the Spirit? And we worship by the Spirit of God that He's given us as a blessing. We glory in Christ Jesus, he says in verse 3 here too. We worship by the Spirit of God and we glory in Christ Jesus. Like, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we talk about how Jesus changes lives and we talk about, you know, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Like, we sound like a broken record in a sense. But at the same time, like, this is how we glorify God. If we were to go to the catechisms, you know, many other, you know, theologians throughout the years who have, who have written these catechisms, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him. Like, if we were to simplify life, like, that would be it. If we were to simplify the law or to sum up the entirety of the Old Testament, it's to love the Lord your God and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And obviously that plays out different for everyone because we all have different spheres of influences and different spheres of ministry that we operate in. Like, yes, we come together, but what happens the rest of the six days? And the, you know, the six and a half to seven days after that. So, and then lastly, we put no confidence in the flesh. And this is obviously one of the most dangerous, you know, topics that we talk about at, at all. Because, it, again, it doesn't mean lawless, but it doesn't mean that we're also working towards earning our salvation. Like what these Judaizers were, were you know, giving to the Philippians at the time. Like, hey, that's great. You accepted Christ. You know, you said you, you bowed the knee. You repented. You believe in him. Now you got to circumcise. Now you got to do, you know, all these other different steps. And you see that. It's very clear to see that in what is called religions of the world. In every one of them, it is you climbing up the spiritual ladder, whereas Christianity is Jesus climbing down the spiritual ladder to lift you up. 
in a sense. And so we see this. And so is it by faith? Is it by works? Or is it by a combination of both? And Paul says, like, we put no confidence in the flesh, even though he has reason for confidence in the flesh. And so just think about it as this keeps building, and especially as we go to the next point of our good deeds are not righteous enough. So is it by faith? Is it by works? Is it a combination of both? Like, the answer is very simply, it's by faith. It's by belief. It's by repentance. But the outpouring of works in our lives, the things that we do, the reason we have meetings with, you know, officials, and we have, you know, Bible studies, we have groups, we have all of those things, is the outpouring of the love that Christ has shown in our lives in the first place. It's not to earn something, it's out of love. And it's not that we have to do it out of the heart motive, it's that we want to do it out of the heart motive. Very different. Very different sides of the fence altogether. And so do we understand the need for a Savior in it? So, in the second point, in the second section, our good deeds are not righteous enough. Paul goes on to explain here, you know, why he, of all people, should be able to, by his works, be saved, right? So if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He was circumcised on the eighth day. Obviously, that's the establishing of the covenant, that, you know, the Abrahamic covenant as a sign of Israel being God's chosen people. Um, we see of the people of Israel, there's, there's nothing hidden here that in the Old Testament, God had a people, it was the nation of Israel. Like, what does that mean for every other nation? Well, you can figure that out <laughs> as far as salvation goes. And so, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, um, this would be a great opportunity to give a, a big history lesson, but very simply, uh, Benjamin was one of the last two uh, tribes that were around because the northern tribes had all been wiped out by Assyria and then there was Judah and then there was Benjamin and so Saul King Saul the very first king that Israel ever had came from the tribe of Benjamin and so it, it is within that that there is some nobility if you will in in being a part of the tribe of Benjamin and then a Hebrew of Hebrews um, or another way the Jew of Jews is what Paul could have very easily said here too. And these are all national heritage blessings. You know, these might be construed to be very similar to what is exclaimed as white privilege today. The fact that, you know, we don't have, you know, several issues that other people of skin color might have because of our heritage as founders of the country. And so there's much more, obviously, to be said to that. This is not racial. This is not political of any means. But at the same time, in order to try to translate that and understand why it's so important to be part of that nation and that culture and that history. And so that, those are all factors that Paul is talking about for the first part. And then it goes on to his works. And if you know Paul... Uh, very simply, if you, go to, if you were to go to Acts chapter 9, as well as Acts chapter 22 and 23, you will see Paul's salvation testimony. And you will see here that he says, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. 
And so because of his culture and his national heritage and all the privileges that Paul had had growing up as an Israelite, that very simply these were reasons for him to be bold and to be prideful and to persecute others, you know, for righteousness sake and for what he was talking about. Um, but what does Jesus say about righteousness? Like in Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 22 and 23, we see Paul being humbled. He went on that road to Damascus. He had that encounter with the living God and he had his life changed and, and he never looked back. In fact, his name was Saul and then it changed to Paul because of this dynamic and amazing change that we have. So, we've talked about the Sermon on the Mount before too, and, and we had a whole series on it, a 12-week series. And in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, Jesus bookends the requirement of what salvation is. And he says in verse 17, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, which in its meaning is the Old Testament, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then he finishes it up by saying in verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so God has a righteousness requirement in order to be saved, in order to go to heaven. But you can see that the Israelites, as well as many religions of the world today, make it all about a works-based system. Make it all about climbing up a ladder, a spiritual ladder, if you will, to try to earn favor before God. And so these good deeds that we're doing and these practices, again, where's the heart motive behind everything that we're doing? And if God requires this level of righteousness, and, yeah, the wind's blowing, getting some feedback. <laughs> I see you all staring at the speaker. <laughs> so the, this righteousness requirement that God has, if Jesus is saying that your most religious people, your scribes and your Pharisees, the ones that practice the law, the ones that uphold it, the ones that, like Paul's talking about, have so much zeal that they persecute other people because, hey, you're not doing enough. You're not doing it good enough either. Where does that leave us? Where does that ultimately leave us in this? And so this righteousness, it must have to come from somewhere else. Because if the most righteous people on the planet are not able to achieve it, then where does it come from? And so naturally it comes from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in all of this. That because he lived that sinless perfect life, that he can you know, atone for these sins. This is a very big point of redemption, of being bought back from the slavery of sin. And then there's substitutionary atonement or propitiation to, you know, take on God's wrath that we so rightly deserve as people. But Jesus paid it and he pardoned us for it. And it's his choice. It's out of his mercy and justice that we are there in the first place. And so, you know, even what good deeds are we doing that will be enough to outweigh the wrongs that we have done? Like, I always think about this, too, because when I first became a Christian, and then, you know, there were, first there was the calling to be a Christian, then there was the calling to the pastorate, and then there was the calling to go to school and be educated. And even in all of these steps and all of these processes, there was a big part of Eric involved in all of that. Like, when I attended Moody Bible Institute, 
like I, I was so bent on needing these good grades in order to, you know, earn this righteousness to stand before God, to show that I am indeed worthy. But the reality of it is, and, and what Paul says here too, is that all in all, none of that ultimately matters. Like, yes, it is important, and yes, I did learn a lot, and yes, I would you know, never throw away the value of an education by any means, but at the same time, what does it earn me? Does it earn me any favor before God? Does it earn me any additional blessings? Because from my understanding of reading Scripture, according to Christ and God, I have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So what else is there? What am I working towards? What am I earning? It doesn't mean that, again, we're, we're trying to earn this righteousness, and it doesn't mean also that I don't have to do anything, but where is that embracing of God's calling on our life to make us different, to make us, you know, His people that are holy and that are set apart? How are we different from the rest of the world? And so do we see the need for a Savior yet? To, to learn from, to understand why you know, these works-based systems are not the way because we'll never be good enough. And so this last point is for sure the biggest point. Thankfully, Jesus is good enough. Like we all know this and we all understand this. And, and I know that we grasp it. But at the same time, in all of our walks, do we acknowledge it and embrace it? In any situations that we encourage in our lives, are we being different? Are we being that salt and light? Or again, are we looking just like the rest of the world? And so that's hard. That's tough for us. And so verse 7, whatever righteous gain I had, it doesn't measure up to the glory I have found in Christ. And, and again, like that's paraphrased. But does it mean that it's worthless? Is it loss? Does that mean that it's worthless? Is it useless? Is it unimportant? The answer, of course, is no. Everything is very important. And God uses all these experiences in our lives to change us, to build this character, to build us in hope, to grow us in faith. And so how many times in our lives have we faced really hard challenges that we're like, I have no idea how I'm going to get through this. But at one point in time or another, like, we get through this, right? And we continue to move on and we continue to press forward. And knowing the truth, I know that we've also grown through these trials and tribulations and challenges. Just the same. So in verse 8 9, to gain Christ and be found in him. Why? And he goes into the next section. Because it's the righteousness that depends on faith, not the righteousness that comes from the law from knowing Jesus Christ. And so to go back to this and, and that righteousness point and what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 17, to have that righteousness, this is imparted to us. This is part of the belief in Christ that yes, I am not good enough, but yes, my Lord and Savior is good enough. That faith to believe. And then, of course, God wants us to repent in all of these situations because we naturally are like sheep that are led astray, and each one most definitely goes to his own way. And so, that I may be his, and that he may be mine, because Christ has made me his own. Like, if we were to go into the next section uh, in verse 12, that's exactly what Paul 
talks about because it's not that he has made this his own or that he has worked on it, but it's because of what Christ has done in his life that he's attempting this and that he's you know, challenged by this and that, you know, even in the midst of being in jail and even being, you know, hated on the outside by people, that there is still joy in, in the Lord. There is still happiness because this is all temporary, whereas with God, everything is eternal. And so justification by faith alone, it means being declared righteous. It's a very important gospel word, justification. It is uh, like just as if you've never sinned, just as if you've always obeyed in that sense. But what it biblically means is being declared righteous. doesn't mean that you are, but that you're declared. And so this goes back to that whole substitutionary atonement. Jesus taking the punishment that we so rightly deserve, but he took it out of a willingness. Like, did he have to? No. He did it again. Check the heart motives. He wanted to. He loved people so much that he was willing to take the punishment that all people deserve because of the sin and because of the brokenness that exists in this world and everywhere around it. And so this, this justification by faith alone, we're declared righteous at at judgment day through Jesus' payment on the cross. He bought our freedom from sin, which is called redemption, which is being, being bought back from the slavery so that we might walk in this newness of life, you know, and then he reconciled us back to our creator. He restored our relationship with God. And then he is blessing us in Christ with every spiritual, not earthly, blessing, and we will live with him forever. These are the promises of God. These are what we're looking forward to. These are where we're going. And then to understand how that plays out in the time being, like it's monumental and fundamental to what a Christian is and the faith and how they go about living their lives in Christ. You know, we talk about this uh, a lot that, you know, as much as we are physical, we are spiritual beings. And as much as we need to eat physically three times a day, we should be eating spiritually at least three times a day, it seems like. Because right now, many of us are just looking like this, right down or forward at best. We're never looking upward because we're worried about this, that, and the other. We're not trusting that God has our best intentions in mind and that there's reason for joy in all of this. We're just looking forward, and it looks really, really bleak when we look forward right now. And so will we die to self, and will we live for Christ ultimately? You know, Paul says in a different letter, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. And that's spiritual truth. And that's exactly what we're here. And do you guys have any idea how liberating and how freedom-filling that is? Because... It's not on our purposes needing to stand. It's on God's purposes needing to stand. And God's purposes will always, always, always stand. Like, he's not going to give up in the slightest. And he's not going to leave or forsake us. And he even promises that he will be with us always to the end of the age. And so... 
do we see that Jesus is good enough? Or do we need to keep trying and beating our heads against walls, trying to fix all the brokenness in the world? Not to say that we, you know, if, if, if it's a calling and it's put on our heart that this is something that we need to do to go forward. But why are we doing the things that we do? Again, to always, always, always check these heart motives and then to understand how the gospel is filled with grace, that unmerited favor of God because it's not something that we can do or not something that we can earn, you know, like every other religion that's out there. And so, praise the Lord. Like, the gospel is good news. And so we see this in this life of Paul, that he, of all people, by birthrights as well as by religious abilities, should, you know, naturally be a candidate for God to be like, well, your righteousness is okay, like, but it, but it doesn't work like that at all. The righteousness requirement of God is so much higher than anything that we think we can do. And then you're always playing that balancing scale too. Like how does my good work outweigh my bad work? How do I atone for those? You know, There's a reason we don't sacrifice animals anymore because Jesus was that once for all sacrifice for us. And so to understand that need for a savior, to understand the gospel and the good news, to understand the freedom that we have to simply to go and to be and to do with our lives and to love people. And what does that look like? And how do we go about doing that? And so the measure of life is not based on what our culture says. It's not based on what Hollywood tells us. We don't have to look this beautiful in order to be accepted. We don't have to make this amount of money, you know, to be accepted. We don't have to, you know, have, you know, these, these perfect attitudes and these perfect morals and these perfect standards. Jesus is working in that with us. But, you know, as much as we talked last week, are we still looking upward or are we just looking forward and downward? You know, not even side to side to see who's with us because, well, it seems like nobody can be trusted right now, you know, depending on how we perceive media. But this beauty of, of Jesus changing lives and working it out and to see that it's his purpose that will stand and that if we, you know, submit, you know, to be on that mission of Christ's mission, how everything else becomes naturally so much easier in our lives and that we can have that freedom in our lives to simply go and to be and to do and to love and to experience. So remember, like, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him. And, like, God's changing us to be different, to glorify Him. So are we enjoying that? Can we rest in this grace? Can we rest in this freedom? Can we be encouraged? Can we be joyful in the highs as well as the lows? Yes. Yes, you can. And that's because of what Christ has done for us. So praise the Lord. So, dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for everything that's going on in our lives. Like, you can search my heart and search every other person's heart here. Um, I know that as a family, we're going through serious challenges. As, as a church, I, I, we're not going through as, you know, we're just going through changes. But within everyone's lives, there's, there's ups and downs and all arounds. And there's hurt and there's heartache. But there's love and there's joy just the same. So, Lord, while we can't maintain any one single emotion, 
let us maintain the mind of Christ in all situations, to seek God's will for whatever we're doing and whatever purpose we're in, so that we can uh, learn and grow and be sanctified, God, uh, just as Paul says to the letter of the Philippians here, to, to grow in likeness and in love and in purity so that at the day of judgment, like we can be proud that, that we were part of advancing the gospel of your kingdom, Lord. Like Everything else is so like a vapor and a mist and a vanity of vanities. But within you, Lord, things stand eternal. Like we aren't promised you know, tomorrow or the next day, but your mercies are new every day and that this is indeed the, the day of the Lord and this is the day that you have made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. And in all of these situations and circumstances that surround us, God, uh, to continue to circumcise our hearts, to continue to uh, kill these sins within us, as well as this desire for earthly culture and earthly things that we may grow spiritually and that we may walk in contentment in our lives. So, Lord Jesus, there is a lot of work for you to be doing within our church body, within this community, as well as within this world. And while we long for you to come back, we just, in the time being, wish to advance your kingdom to as far as you would let us take it. So, Lord, continue to use us well as your church, as individuals. And, Lord, just fill us with what it is that we need in order to benefit others. So it's no longer us who live, but it's Christ who lives within us. Let us remember this as we go out this week. It's in your name, Jesus, that we will forever pray. Amen.